Hi, my name is Sharon Shimanova, and this is Chai Podcast. Meet Suzanne Zerkiev, the Baharian plant queen realness and social media connoisseur you didn't know you were missing in your life. It was so exciting to have the opportunity to speak and hang out with Suzanne earlier this year when we recorded this episode. How often do you meet a Baharian plant stylist and influencer? Her positive energy, aura, and passion for her craft was enticing to be around and left me buzzing with a smile long after we stopped recording. We spoke about her presence on social media, specifically TikTok, where she has 95.7 thousand followers, and Instagram that has 24.8 thousand followers. She walks us through the back end of content creating and the way that she was able to kickstart her career in plant styling, the pressures of being consistent with content, and the importance of staying true to yourself as you navigate through today's society and the double-edged sword of social media. I was able to connect with her through the Progressive Baharians Facebook group that Rafael Shimuna from the previous episode actually created. So if anything is a testament to the amazing connection that can be forged through this type of community building, it's this episode. Through our discussion of the intricacies of social media platforms, we talked about the unique experience of growing up in the Baharian community, the way that framed her view of herself, and how she was able to take charge of her life through manifestation. We started our conversation by talking about what drew her to the plant industry. For me, it's it's an environmental thing. It is a self-care practice. It's 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 a cure for a lot of, of the problems that we as humans face, is just connecting to nature. There's a term for it. It's called biophilia, and it's the innate human desire to connect with nature and plants. Oh my god, I didn't know of that. Yeah, so when you have plants in your living space, it's, it's been proven to elevate your mood, um, make you feel more relaxed in a space, just like the color blue has been proven to relax people. So I think it's essential to, to someone. I mean, of course, there are going to be people that they're not adept to it or they feel like they can't. And I think the goal of my page is to show everyone that there is a plant for everyone. There is like, there is a method for plant care and to self-care for everyone. It, you can use your intuition. It'll help you be more intuitive as an individual. When you have living things around you, it immediately makes you feel more vibrant and alive. Like think of a jail cell devoid yeah. of life. It's just you and your furniture. And then think of even that cell, like a prison cell with like a beautiful majesty palm in the corner. It yeah. already becomes like such a more inviting and like a brighter space right. because it's life and like life knows life, life breathes life. And, and it's, I don't know. I just, when I lived with my parents, I had a small little room. I had no plants, no sunlight. There was a tree blocking the window and I was always so down in that room. And then when I moved to my first apartment, the room was the same size, mind you, just a different shape, same size. <laughs> But I had a balcony and through my balcony, I could see trees, I can see shrubbery and the green parts, not the trunk that's blocking the freaking window. <laughs> and immediately I was like, there's light. Like, I want to fill this room with greenery. I want to like, you know, I want to have an herb garden. <laughs> and, like, and when I started collecting all those houseplants, um, it really started, I started to like myself more. Because I saw myself through the perspective of like a nurturing individual. I was like, I am keeping these beautiful things alive yeah. in these pretty little vessels. And my apartment looks so cute. And it just, I feel so purposeful and so important. You know, and these plants could survive by themselves in the street. <laughs> I could plant them out. in the, But it gives you a sense of purpose to know that you are providing that, that nurturing. Um, and... It was a really transformative, it made me see myself in a better light. And I stopped kind of like thinking of myself as worthless, as dramatic as that sounds, yeah. because at that time I was in a very abusive relationship and um, I was living with the person I was in a relationship with. <laughs> it was a very toxic environment. We had two other roommates. Um, it was volatile, like painful. And I found so much comfort and escape in taking care of my plants and going out and buying new ones and ex experimenting and learning. And we're in the middle of a pandemic where like yeah. people are dying. It was a tragic time. And all that brought me comfort in those times was being able to be with nature and have that in my home 
because we couldn't go anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> so my goal is just to, to be able to bring that type of light and that type of self-love to other people because having that knowledge and information now, I realized how devoid of it my life felt before. And that's so poetic. Like, that's <laughs> the most poetic thing. <laughs> I think, and it's so beautiful because I think that's all the creatives really feed off of I feel mm-hmm. like it's just that like positivity and that safety to grow and to like expand and yeah. get better and get and feel better as a person not only like get better at your craft but even just like feel more in tune with yourself yeah so for you when did you make like the ultimate have you made the ultimate shift I guess is the question into like full plant plant queen life or are you still doing like other things yeah I'm always doing other things I've been like a hustler since I could remember I've been working since I was 14 um and I haven't stopped working since and I will probably never stop working (laughs) the fact that my parents always supported those decisions and like of course they were met with like hesitation of like what is the community gonna think what is everyone gonna think but at the end of the day I'm glad that I was strong enough to be like this is what I want and that my parents were daft enough to be like then we'll support you because there are so many parents of children that I know that would never support their kids in the endeavors that I've like embarked on in my life, you know, dropping out of college. I paid for school by myself for at least three years of my education because my parents were like, you're taking too long. I wanted to study photography. They said, we won't pay if you take, if you study photography, um, you study anything else. So I was like, okay, I'll study literature. I'm glad I did because I actually really loved literature and photography was easy enough to teach myself. But (laughs) um, I feel like the fact that they gave me alternatives, they gave me options that I still liked and didn't force me into like a path that was more taken by others in our community definitely changed my life for the better. I mean, I did take some photography courses because I really wanted to learn how to shoot film and develop film. Yeah. So when I was in Queensboro, I did take advantage of those courses and I'm glad that I did because it gave me a lot of my backing for being able to self-educate, but I am really actually grateful that my parents pushed me to pursue literature because I also then started pursuing sociology and um, I feel like that really, I was always a very open-minded person, but opened my mind even more and allowed me to see so many different perspectives that I never would have seen because I grew up in such a homogenous community. Um... I think luckily enough, like high school and middle school was diverse enough to the point where like I was aware, but I think most of my awareness came to me in college about the world existing outside of Buharlo 108. (laughs) (laughs) Literally. No, I definitely feel the same way. I feel like it was very similar, similar to my experience. I work part time as a recruiter uh, for a firm that recruits accountants and like other financial positions. So that's my part-time job. And then my other part-time is um, making content for TikTok and Instagram based on like plants. Additionally, I do offer like services for people that, you know, want their business styled with plants or need upkeep or just want to FaceTime me so that they can learn about why their plant is dying. And my favorite thing, of course, is the styling aspect. I love like coming into a space and being like, I'm going to redesign everything. (laughs) (laughs) And having that creative space is so incredible, especially in a city like New York. So that's what I'm doing right now is content creating, recruiting. So how did we get here? Styling. How did we get here? So you loved plants and you ended up like funneling this passion through your like personal life and obviously yeah. into your home. But how did it become like this huge, <laughs> insane thing? Um, I wouldn't say huge. I mean, but... I think it's it's pretty impressive. Like your TikTok <laughs> following, your Instagram following, like it's it's a big deal. I have like chai podcast followers. I have like 200 followers, like 120 followers, <laughs> literally. Like I can be like, where are the people? Like, how do I do this? I don't know people? anything about content creating. My Instagram is the most like secluded and like personal thing that I've ever done. Like I don't <laughs> let anyone follow me. I don't have my name there. My display pic is the black and white checkerboard. It always has been because I didn't want anyone to know what I looked like. And then it just like became a part of my image. It's like in Chai's logo and all of it mm-hmm. because like that's like a thing, but I feel like social media is such an exciting place. It can be very exciting. It's, it's a vi- I think that people should study, so- sociologists should study social media and they should not take it lightly because it is the most interesting thing that's happened to society since the beginning of time. And that's yeah. my true belief. 
I say this all the time, social media is so fascinating and it is, it's an anomaly. It's a social anomaly. Like it's the coolest thing ever. Um, I love social media, but it is, social media is a space where it's not just what you make it. You know what I mean? (laughs) Your, your success is so contingent on other people. I guess it's the same with any like type of freelance work. And, and that's the thing that's interesting about social media is it was never created with the intention of creating careers for people, um, especially as content creators. It's a completely self-made position. There's no school for it. There's no education on it. And other content creators will make educational videos on how to blow up and things like that. But at the end of the day, it has nothing to do with those statistics and everything to do with how likable and interesting you are. I mean, have you watched The Circle? Yes. Okay. Perfect example. Yeah. Those people have no fault, fo- like technically no followings, like in that game, in the circle. And they just have to make themselves as likable as possible to as many people as possible in order to win the end game. Yeah. And I did apply to be on that show. I really want to be on it. <laughs> um, it's like one of my dreams. I really want to be on reality TV. <laughs> Specifically that show because it's so fascinating yeah. to me. And I want to see if I could do it again. Because this was an accident. Instagram, TikTok, accident, big mistake, big mistake, a good mistake, big mistake. (laughs) Like Instagram, I started posting about my plants as a journal to, to like document how quickly they're growing, to see other people's plants, to learn more about plants because I knew already that there had to be something on Instagram about it. So I just started posting pictures and, and not until I started posting pictures of myself with my plants, did I start getting a following. I don't know why. Uh, but on social media, a face is everything. If you have a brand and you're not showing your face and you're not making yourself the face of your brand, you're fucking up. And the reason why is because people don't connect to products, they connect to things. So I, my username used to be the houseplant pixie because it was like a stupid little thing. It yeah. wasn't like supposed to be anything. <laughs> like, don't judge me, please. Well, listen, people loved my username. It yeah. was like a thing, like. And I, I liked my username too until I wanted to take this into a business because I didn't want to have my business known as like the houseplant pixie. Yeah. Like I wanted to be Suzanne Zerkia. Like that's, you know, kind of, <laughs> I was like, my vision for myself is not to be this Disney character, <laughs> you know? Um, and I'm not a Disney bitch. Yeah. I've never been a Disney bitch. Like I'm not the one. So, um, it was a fun run and I got my following as the houseplant pixie, the majority of it. Um, so I made my Instagram and within two months, I was already at like two or three months. I was at 3000 followers and it happened so suddenly. And I was like, well, I got to keep going. I mean, like I'll, as a, you know, when I was younger, all I wanted to be was an influencer. Really? <laughs> so this is crazy. And you're like, living be, your life now. I really will. I like 13 year old me would be so proud right now. <laughs> um, <laughs> I really wanted to be an influencer because Not because I wanted, like, the notoriety or anything, but just, like, I wanted to be interesting enough to be an influencer because I think influencers are fucking interesting. Like, they're so cool and funny and, like, the fact that they're literally a nobody that so many people trust and love, like, that means a lot to me. (laughs) So I was like, okay, well, now I got to just run with it because... I've tried so many things before to like do social media with. I was a makeup artist at some point. I did makeup. I did my photography on social media. That didn't work out either. I even used my, I pimped out my dog. (laughs) I made a dog account. I was trying to get a Bark Bucks fucking, uh, what was it called? Sponsorship. It didn't work. Finally, this, and this plan thing was so unintentional. And from day one, my friend Casey was like, oh my God, you have to start this plant account. Um, you're like the plant queen. And I was just like, no, it's so stupid. And she was like, just do it. You're going to become a plant influencer. And then you got free plants. And I was like, I'm not going to become a plant influencer. Is that even a thing? (laughs) Fast forward to me in a year. And I'm just like, what the fuck? (laughs) You're like, where am I? How did this happen? So yeah, I, I started growing on Instagram and then all of a sudden it started getting really hard to grow on Instagram. And I found myself really gravitating towards TikTok, but I was never comfortable with like video content mm-hmm. or like being on camera like that. A lot of insecurities growing up about how I look and like being fat on social media is scary. Yeah. <laughs> um, being fat in real life is scary. <laughs> Just existing as a fat yeah. person is kind of scary. 
Um, yeah, in the society, absolutely. Yeah, and like I love being fat. I'm totally fine with being fat. I think it's like the least interesting thing about me. But on social media, apparently, it's the most interesting thing about me because people yeah. love to comment on right. my weight. Because um. <laughs> it immediately becomes this like positive, like body posy queen. Like this is this becomes like your no, identity. it's negative. They're mean. Negative. They'll what? say mean shit. Like go to the gym, eat some greens. Like really mean shit. What I thought it was, I thought you meant like in a in a positive no. way. No, I would love it if it was positive. Oh my god. No, <laughs> I never talk about my body online. I never talk about like. I don't know, because I don't care about... My body is my body. Like Yeah, it's not it's, the, but that's not the point of what you're doing. Exactly. You know it has I mean? nothing to do with what right. I'm doing. So when I get a comment from someone that's like, go to the gym instead of buying plants, fat ass, blah, 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 oh like, it's That's always, horrible. It's literally I mean, horrible. It's, it would be more horrible if I cared. Yeah. It definitely would be worse if I gave a fuck. But like, also, before this... Before plants, I was in recovery for from an eating disorder, and I was severely, you know, malnourished, yeah. not healthy. And I now I'm just like, you can make fun of this fat body all you want, but being fat saved my life. Like I probably would have killed myself. Yeah. I kept going on the path that I was on. So I really don't care <laughs> when people are upset about me being fat. In fact, it makes me laugh a lot. And in our community, people have cared about me being fat my whole life. It's always been oh, like, yeah. oh, Susanichka, she's so pretty, but she needs to lose some weight. Oh, my God. It's a really big problem, you know? She's going to be fat. Who's going to marry her? I actually was just reading um, this, like, little coffee table book. It says 10 best arguments to delete all your social media right now. And it was written by someone who was from Silicon Valley and, like, was in... It, he, they're basically like a tech person and like it was in the world of tech when social media began to boom and was talking a lot about they wrote they published the book um right after the facebook scandal with like the trump election mm-hmm. and they were they basically did this expose where they're like you're being used like understand that this is not like this organic space you're literally being mined for data you are the commodity like mm-hmm. you're not the consumer you're the commodity like understand that like you're just a pawn in like the larger issue and it, this, like, it was such like, a jarring moment to see it there like, in black and white of someone just completely mapping out how this works and how this is all just part of like, the bigger financial scheme. Oh, it's true. I mean, when I, uh, when I was studying abroad in Amsterdam, I took a class on um, social media data. And the back end of social media had nothing to do with the front end of social media or anything like that. It was really about the back end and how Facebook mines your data is way more complex than you would even think. Like... Let's say you're scrolling Facebook and your friend posts a picture of a dog and you stop on the picture of a dog that they posted for more than a certain amount of seconds. Facebook will flag that activity and will suggest as to based on just your viewing time of a certain thing. Now, if you like and comment, they will also mine data from your likes and comments to better understand what type of thing to advertise to you based on what you've just interacted with. It's not just like a, oh, I like this, so that, like, thing that my friend had that's also in BarkBox, so they were suggested yeah. a BarkBox. Like, it's way more layered than that, and they will peruse through the people that you're friends with and what they like, and they will see how much you interact with them to then suggest things to you that they might like. Yeah. It is fascinating. Yeah. It's mind-boggling, honestly. Yeah. It's so, and so how does that now, after kind of like literally studying the back end of it and like learning more about that has that influenced your presence on the front end of it and how you create your content oh absolutely like I pay very close attention to what does well on my page and I'll study the comments to figure out why and like when people share it now you can see that they shared Mm -hmm. it even if they don't tag you and it'll tell you um like what, what they wrote on their share and I'll kind of like make a mental list compiling of like what people liked about this specific video and how I can mimic that in a non-obvious way in my future content. So like I noticed recently, like I started with like super just like plant oriented content, plant care, plant stories, stuff like that. Also a lot of my Instagram page was like my writing captions. People would always like comment about my captions. I stopped doing that as much because it wasn't helping me grow. Right. What was helping me grow was DIYs and like home inspired videos with plants and like interesting DIYs or like just something that's like kind of seems absurd that you could do on your own. My first video that blew up 
was on TikTok and it was of me plant shopping for a client in the flower district. But I had been studying TikTok and so I had known that if I called it the flower district, it wouldn't be as interesting. And so I should call it the wrong thing. So I called mm. it the plant district because I knew that would drive up my engagement. <laughs> <laughs> I also made the decision to mispronounce a plant name in the video. Oh my god, this is fascinating. A small mispronunciation. It was almost like a test. I, I, I took it for a test run. The second I posted the video, it was viral. It had 100,000 views in less than uh, 30 minutes. It was blowing up. By the time it was done, it's now at 2.4 million views. It's still like my biggest video. That's insane. Um, and all of the comments are like, oh my God, those plants are so big. It's not the plant district. It's the flower district. Go back to where you came from. And yeah. I'm just like, bitch, I'm from New York. <laughs> like you are it's so stupid right now. <laughs> and... Then the other ones are like, only white people could afford things like this. Or yeah. like, because I make it seem extravagant. Right. It's not. We spent less than $300 <laughs> on all of those plans. But it's all about what you show people, you know? Yeah. And it became very apparent to me that it is very easy to manipulate an audience with social media. And so I made the conscious decision that if I'm going to be manipulative in any way, it's going to be in a non-harmful way, <laughs> like mispronouncing a word, yeah. whatever, because who does that harm? No one, but I get the engagement, so I'll take it. And what I would notice was like people were doing trend videos, they were doing educational videos, and they were doing funny videos. And so my, my strategy with TikTok, because on Instagram, I didn't have a content strategy, but I went into TikTok with a strategy. I wanted to blow up. That was my goal. I blew up within three months. And I did that by posting three times a day and making each of those videos either a trend, educational, or funny. So every single day, I did one of those, all three of those, and I would post them, and I would batch the content. I was working full-time, too, at that point, so I was, like, killing myself (laughs) because I was was like, I need to do this. Like, I want business. Like, I want people to to book me, so that's what I'm going to do. My first ever video that I made of plant shopping that like also went mini viral and had like 200,000 views, I made it up. You made it up? I made it up. It wasn't a real <laughs> client. I was shopping for myself because I was testing it to see how, how people would like the services that I provide. I became a marketing maven for one day. <laughs> I, see. I see. I was like, let me just do the social experiment real quick and see how people like what I'm doing. And people liked it, and that's why I kept doing it. And actually, that video got me my first three clients. Oh, my God. So, fake it till you make it is a real thing. (laughs) And I fully stand behind it. So, yeah, I mean, I just, after that, I was like, well, I have to keep expanding because I can't keep making these extravagant shopping videos. So, I had to find other ways to, like, within my niche, expand what my audience would like. And it was really hard. I hit a lot of slow points, but now people are like obsessed with the DIY bullshit. Plant installs and DIYs is like my biggest thing, which is, I hate that I've done that to myself <laughs> because it's, they're really hard. To I do. mean, yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> um, I have a plant wall video that I did recently on Instagram. That's currently getting into the hundreds of thousands of views. And I'm realizing that like, I can't keep up with that type of content as often as I'd like to. So it's really important to find multiple pieces of content that all of your followers like. And um, that's kind of where I'm at right now is trying to like expand my niche so that it's not so constrictive for me because I have so many other interests, you know, so. But I think that that's so fascinating because like I'm very easily swayed, I guess you can say, by like the little things like social media because I don't think anything of it. Mm -hmm. So when I hear... That, like, this is such, like, a methodical and thought-out concept. I'm so fascinated. I love it. Yeah, TikTok was. I think I also do favor Instagram because it wasn't. Because I felt like that community that I generated was so much more organic. Yeah. And I think that I've made genuine friendships on both apps. So grateful. I've met so many creators that have changed my life and have become lifelong friends because of it. But... I wouldn't have gone about it any other way because my TikTok was for my business. That's why I created it. And it helped generate more Instagram growth for sure. But I think that I am my truest, most authentic self on Instagram because there are multiple modes of expression on Instagram, whereas TikTok is just long or short form video, video content. Yeah. 
Um, and on Instagram, there's the stories and there are the posts and there are the reels and there are the guides that you can make now on your page, which I fucking love those little guides. Yeah. Um, it's like, and I know that people are saying that Instagram is becoming more obsolete and that TikTok is taking over, but I, I genuinely think that, and, and because people think that they can be more authentic on TikTok, but as a person that has a small business, it's not as easy to be authentic on TikTok yeah. because people are very opinionated on TikTok. And I think it's it's harder to kind of like look away from that. I get a lot more hate on TikTok than I do on Instagram. I mean, I also have like 60 plus more thousand followers on TikTok. Oh, so there's like a casual. more people to hate me. I actually have no. like 60,000 more followers on TikTok. No, no, that's not how I'm saying that. <laughs> I'm saying that there's a lot more people right. to hate me. Yeah, because the, because the crowd is bigger. There's exactly. always going to be more opinions and more like discussions when you have just more people in the room. It's just... Exactly. Yeah. You know? I think that that's why I chose to center my social media around myself engaging with something as opposed to myself yeah and I don't know you said that you look through some of my videos and pictures and stuff so I'm sure you notice that there's very little information about me yeah and who who I am as a person um what I've done what I do other than plants I mean people like me and they're like oh my god you're so funny and you're so silly and he 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 but like your job is so cool but people have nothing to say about me as a person because they don't know anything about me. My social media is very private, which is surprising for someone that's online every day, all day, isn't it? But it's because I have seen how it can rip your life apart for other people when you live your entire life on social media. I will never give people a reason to try to wiggle their way into my life if I don't feel comfortable with that yeah you know my my goal was never like fame or notoriety I really just want to appeal to people I want to give someone a safe space to enjoy a hobby that they think is transformative for them and exciting and that's all that I'm looking to do like I'm not trying to I don't I don't want fans I don't want people to idolize me Like, I just want to create a community, to create a space where we can have fun and enjoy a common interest and not get too involved in each other's lives. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) And I feel like, just like you were saying, like, I'm not trying to get notoriety. I'm not trying to be famous. I don't want people to know everything about my life. Like, I'm just trying to create a, like, a friend group. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Just a a friend group. Like, a group of people that, like, have a common interest and want to explore that together. Exactly. I, just like you, you want to create a safe space where people can come ask questions, can laugh and enjoy and share experiences. Yeah. And that's what I'm looking to do. I'm, I'm not looking to, you know, be the next big thing in plants. Right. I mean, that would be fun. It'd be really cool. <laughs> but I just want to enjoy myself and to show people that, you know, even though other people might think you're weird or your hobby's weird or like you're a little bit of a freak, like there's a space where other people are just the same type of freak. Yeah. And I don't know, growing up, I always really truly thought that I was such a social outcast, like such a fucking weirdo (laughs) and getting online and seeing that there are so many people like me, so many people that do the same thing that I do. I mean, to even try to imagine, I hit 23,000 followers yesterday on Instagram to imagine that amount of people relating to me. That's That's a lot of fucking people. If I had to stand in front of those people right now, I'd shit my pants and die. <laughs> I mean, that's like 20,000 people. That's a lot of people. I don't think I know. I don't think I've ever met 20,000 people. I have, life. apparently. They met me. Another weird thing about social media. I love talking about this because people, content creators always be like, why are you guys trying to get so involved in my life? Like, why do you care so much like about everything that I'm doing? You guys are stalking me or whatever. I think a lot of content creators fail to realize that our viewers have established a relationship with us. They have the relationship. There's one of us and thousands of them. And if you're going to expect that they have the same understanding of you as you do of them, you're kidding yourself because they only have to engage with one of you. So they have time to get invested. You have to engage with so many of them. So you don't have time to get invested with that many. And that's of course, you can't. There's no, it's impossible to engage with 20 plus thousand people all the time. But 
you can't question why they get so invested in you when that's the whole basis of your social presence yeah is that they're there to be invested in what you're doing and so they have a relationship with you they know you and you don't know them which is the craziest thing in the world yeah it's so it's so wild that 23,000 people on one platform know me 94,000 on another platform know me and I don't know more than like three to four hundred of them I honestly can't imagine that I definitely like look at other creators who like I don't even think of my I'm like sitting here like I'm like am I a content creator like who am I you are you're you are a content creator right and I didn't even think of that vocal content you're you're making a very specific type of content right um so definitely put content creator on your resume yeah (laughs) Yeah, like I'm like am I a content creator like I didn't even I didn't even think of it that way until like just now in this moment and I'm thinking like now it just completely got me perceiving things in a different way because I think like for me going on to social media I'm just like I just want to tell people like who I am like I just want to be able to portray myself in the most authentic way possible yeah. so that I can like perfect that craft because like I think it's so interesting to just get to know yourself yeah and then be able to present that to other people yeah but I never really thought of it in the other way where I can like manipulate that into something that's like so interesting and use that to my own advantage as opposed to feeling like people are like prying into me or like trying to like rip me apart you know yeah and like psychoanalyze me well I think that truly I can truly say that I've never been able to be more authentically myself than I am online and I think the reason that is is because genuinely as a person my biggest personality flaw and also my biggest personality advantage Mm. is that I am a mirror I always have been my whole life. Interesting. And I think it's part of the reason that I'm likable in general, in person, is because I immediately can sense a person, what they're like, what they will enjoy hearing from my mouth, (laughs) and and I will do it. Everything. Yes. They will perceive me as the perfect person for them. They'll connect to me. Literally same. Because I'm a mirror, and I always have been. And it's always led me to feel like I don't have a sense of self and once I got on social media I realized I couldn't mirror because it wasn't a face-to-face interaction where I was in encountering a person and then giving them what they wanted of me and it's not that it was fake it was I was just showing them the side of me that I knew they would like the best yeah but I couldn't figure out how that fit into me as a whole person until I got online and I had to be myself because I couldn't just rely on what other people liked to make them like me. I had to actually be likable. And that's what's pretty awesome to me about social media. It makes me feel really amazing is that I'm 100% myself on there and people don't hate me. <laughs> they don't think it's weird. Yeah. They, I mean, sure, there are some people that think it's weird. They just don't follow me. <laughs> yeah. But the people that follow me, they genuinely like the things that I do. They enjoy the way I speak. They don't think I'm annoying. They like me. And I didn't have to work extra hard for that. Not that I don't work hard, but I didn't have to change myself into something that they would like specifically. I allowed myself to truly find my passion and my voice and be a person that I'm excited to be every morning and not the person that someone else wants me to be every morning. Not living to please someone else, but I'm pleasing myself and that makes other people happy. And that's pretty fucking awesome. <laughs> that's why I love, I, I love social media. People are always like, I hate social media. It's so toxic. Yes, it is. But I love it because I'm using it in a way that's beneficial to me. You know, and I think that's why so many people become content creators because they get to express themselves so authentically or they get to become the person they always wanted to be exactly. and never had the opportunity to be. And I think that that's a beautiful thing too. And I think a lot of people get shit for that. Like, oh, you're a poser. Who the fuck cares? Yeah. That's who they want to be. And if you like it, you like it. If you don't, hit scroll. Scroll yeah. on. There are 15,000 million other people that you can go enjoy. You don't have to focus on that one person. Exactly. And that's the beauty of social media. It's such an interesting thing. Because I feel like, yeah, I think I've definitely been in that corner where I'm like, I fucking hate social media. But I think that once I realized that like no one controls what you do. You can do whatever the fuck you want. Not only like you're on in control, media, but in life. Like literally your life is yours. No one should be able to dictate what you do with your life. And like I think growing up in a space and in a community where that is the community is so prone to that, 
to that kind of like dictatorship and setting those like really strict guidelines it's really difficult for us to then go out into the real world and understand that that's not how the rest of the world might function like if you just take a minute to like look around and actually start like paying attention to the shit that's happening everywhere and even on social media like just start following people that like you don't know or maybe people that you want to be more like or people that inspire you and move you that is what it's about that's how you create like authenticity and how you understand more about yourself, which like I'm sure through this process of like gaining this insane following, it's probably been so cathartic to realize that like I can be me and like that's okay. That's exactly how I feel. And I had an interesting conversation with my mom a few weeks ago where I was feeling really disappointed with my father because me and my father are very similar, but we don't see eye to eye on very many political or social issues. Um, And it feels like, to me, like he purposely wants to just disagree with me in order to create a rift between us. Because I think that actually, genuinely, he agrees with a lot of things that I say, but he doesn't want to agree with a woman and give her the satisfaction of being right. (laughs) This is my life. You're literally talking my life. You're speaking my life. (laughs) So he will argue with me about the same side. We're on the same side. And he, <laughs> and I, my mom was like, let me walk you home. I live a couple blocks from my parents. She was, let me walk you home. And I was just like, mom, I feel like he is never going to accept me. And she was like, why do you care? And I was like, excuse me? <laughs> She's like, why do you care if he accepts you? What is it going to do for you if your father accepts you? Do you accept yourself? I was like, yeah, I think I'm great. And she was like, do you like the things that you do and the person that you are? And I was like, yeah. And she was like, does he like the person that he is and accept the things that he does? How many times have you heard your father question himself in his 50 years? And I'm like, all the time. And she's like, how do you expect someone that barely accepts themselves to accept you in any capacity? And I was just like, who are you? And what are you talking about? What? That's a TED talk. That's right? a fucking TED talk. I was right like, there. Who are you? What are we talking about, my mother? <laughs> and she was like, at the end of the day, I'm going to accept you no matter who you are because you're my kid. She's like, you don't kill people. You don't steal things. You're a pretty good person. You live <laughs> your life. You pay your rent. And she's like, what's there really for me to accept? She's like, it's your life, right? You, you have to be happy with your life, not us. And she's like, my job is just to guide you and tell you what I think is right. Your job is to make your own decisions. And I was really grateful for that in that moment because recently I've been going through a lot of changes in my own life where I'm very concerned about how my parents are going to view the next, the next steps of what I want to do and who I want to be with. And um, it's been really hard because my family means a lot to me. We're very close and... As much as we're different, I love my family, you know, and I want to know that they'll be there for the rest of my life. But knowing some of the decisions that I have to make, I know that that very well might not be true. I very well might not have my family in in my life forever. Um, And that's something that's really hard to come to terms with. Especially in our community where family is literally everything. I know exactly how you feel. (laughs) I'm unwell. I'm I'm genuinely unwell, I think. Everything that you're saying is exactly how I feel. This is the most cathartic experience. Oh, good. (laughs) This is the most cathartic experience. I'm baffled by the fact that you exist, first of all, because I'm like, stop. Because genuinely, this is everything that I feel all the time. I'm I'm baffled by the fact that you exist in a space (laughs) like this. Jesus. Like, I... Thank you. I, I genuinely... I have a hard time even believing that this is a real conversation <laughs> and that I'm not going to leave here and that you're not going to be like, this fucking weird ass bitch. <laughs> There's like so much self-doubt that I'm like, do I even sound sane? Like, is anything that I'm saying making sense or do I just sound like completely yeah. out of this world? <laughs> but it's no. like... It's funny because we hear so much about other people in communities like in the Indian community or the Asian community like subverting their norms and their kind of like stereotypes and kind of trying to um, jump out of the box and and a lot of them are accepted by their families, a lot of them aren't. 
And to experience that on my own, but not have uh, people know that I'm part of this community because it's so small, um, it, in some ways is very invalidating because it feels like society doesn't validate my experience or even acknowledge its existence. <laughs> so I'm just like, is it even real? I think that there are smaller tribes than yes. ours that are more well-known. Right. Because we are very much... Um, we don't assimilate. Privately, we don't assimilate, but publicly, we kind of have this facade of like, I've never met a Bukharian person that hasn't told an American person that they're just Russian. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Right. We are not people that proudly explain and share our experiences because we don't think that anyone else needs to know. I think that's a very Jewish thing in general yeah. of like being very withheld and like not everyone needs to know everything. But it's like, it creates this space in a vacuum where you're like, you exist in a vacuum and that's it. Everywhere else you don't exist. You're a liminal space. Yeah. And I just don't like that. I don't like that I have to like sit down with every person I know and explain to them the lineage of like where I'm from. And they don't just know. Like I can't just be like, I'm Bengali. I'm from Bangladesh. And they'll just know where that is. Exactly. I have to be like, well, see, I'm from Uzbekistan, but 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 I speak Russian and not Uzbek. Let me explain why. It's because Uzbekistan used to be part of the Soviet Union, so we're colonized. So I actually speak two colonizer languages, but that's besides the point. I'm actually Jewish. You know, most Uzbeki people are Muslim, but I'm not Muslim. And actually, we weren't allowed to be Jewish, so no one knew we were Jewish because, you know the Soviet Union, um, were actually called the Silk Road Jews to other white people. And we came from Persia, but before that we were in Babylon. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, how do you explain to people what you are in two sentences? You can't. It's so fucking annoying. I just wanted to, I want to one day be able to be like, this is where I'm from on a map. Exactly. And people just get it. I want to be able to say that I'm Baharian and people are like, oh, okay, cool. Oh, cool. Yeah. It all spreads, like sprouts from the fact that we're not comfortable with ourselves. Yeah. We're because we don't feel like we're allowed to take up that much space in exactly. a conversation. Right. That for me is also an issue of like being socialized as a woman and not taking up too much space exactly. in general. I think that men and generally in our community feel way more comfortable explaining themselves because they weren't silenced as children exactly and that, that's why we're at that intersection of both the pressures of just being baharian in like the global society and being a woman both in society as a whole which has its own issues and in your own community and in your own community exactly so you have these multiple intersections because we don't feel like we're allowed to talk about it with exactly anyone. because everyone who does know about it keeps it a secret so what would happen if all of these people actually started talking about it and that's what's happening right now, though. Exactly. And that's why I was so emotional when I <laughs> found out about all of these spaces for Bukharian youth that I didn't even know existed. Or even just for Mizrahi Sephardi Jews, because a lot of our values are very similar to like Moroccans and Persian Jews and just other Middle Eastern Jews that have that, you know, kind of that Muslim influence. Because I think that this is not a Jewish thing. No. All yeah. of the like oppressive shit, like... It all comes from being stuck in a Muslim country for yes. as long as we were. And that's not to say anything is wrong with like Muslim or like Islamic values. It's just they're oppressive by nature to women, especially. Yeah. That's a fact. Right. <laughs> and especially just like in that political climate, they, it was just a matter of like, we're both oppressed, but which one of us is going to be less oppressed? Exactly. And because there were more of them, they just, they kind of beat us on that front. Exactly. And because of that, we were just a minority there. And I feel like inherently we're just ingrained to be a minority no matter where we go. And it's very difficult to push out of that, I think, just because by nature we're like, no, no, no one needs to know. Mm -hmm. And that's so crazy because when you're raised in that space where you feel like you have to keep all of these like inherently personal things about yourself secret, why would you at any point like create a community where talking about personal things is like, important or like put on a pedestal you know yeah I mean recently my mom was telling me and my sister how when she was a little girl in school she would tell the Uzbek kids that her name was Gulbahor so that they would think she was Uzbek and they wouldn't abuse her because Jewish kids often got terrorized in school 
And so <laughs> she was like, those big boys in my class would always be like, don't mess with her. That's Gula. Like, she's cool. <laughs> and like, how funny is that? My mom was like, she would tell people, my papa Tajik, and that's what she would tell people so that they wouldn't fuck with her as she has a Tajik papa. My dad's family had a harder time. Tajikistan was a little bit more difficult than I think Tashkent, Uzbekistan. So where's so your mom is from Tashkent, your dad is from Dushanbe. Dushanbe. Oh wow! I'm actually excited because this season I'm having a lot of diversity because in my yeah. first season <laughs> it was all Tashkent, and I was like, honestly, what is more Tashkent than what I'm doing? Like this, literally, this is the most, this is the most Tashkent thing that I could have thought of doing. Like literally, I know. So that's some Samarkandi yeah, in here. Yeah, there's no there was no diversity in my first season. It was all Tashkent, so it was very it was exciting. Yeah. Um, but for the most part, at least, but I'm excited now because I feel like I'm having all these interesting people on that have mm-hmm. that like duality, which is so interesting to me yes. because they always have like the one side that's like Tashkent and a little bit more modern, whereas like the other side comes from a smaller area and a more rural area. So yeah. because of that, they just tend to be more traditional yeah. and a lot more different than like city folk. I yeah, guess you can say. absolutely. I mean, my dad, Dushanbe is a big, it's a big, it's the capital of Tajikistan. It's a big city, but, um, their grandparents lived on farms and they had very different lives. My mom's dad is from Bukhara, so that family is very oh, different. Wow, yeah. My grandma's family is from Tashkent, so they're very different. I think that my dad's mom was more on the alternative side also for her time period. Like she tells me all the time how she when she was in school, um, she tricked her mom into thinking she had lice so that she could cut her hair really short. And that was like very taboo <laughs> yeah. in the 50s. <laughs> she cut her hair really short. Um, like, yeah. you know, like that Sassoon type yeah. of like haircut. And she's had that haircut ever since then. And how she like, she was a photo retoucher and she wanted to go to art conservatory and her parents wouldn't let her go. And she really wanted to. And um, she ended up marrying my grandfather, but she always had like a very artistic life. She draws, she paints. And when she moved to the U.S., she started working at Birdorf Goodman's as a stream a seamstress. Ooh, fancy. Um, yeah, she worked there for 25 years. She's worked with some of the craziest celebrities, like wow. politicians. Um, and, you know, I don't know any other women in our community that are as interesting as my grandma is, like, of her age. Yeah. Um, all I know is other, like, you know, freaking... <laughs> Leaders and eaters yeah. that sit at home and make blinchiki for a living. <laughs> and, um, which is cool and fine yeah. if that's what they want to do, but they don't. <laughs> they don't. They just do it because that's what they think they have to do. And so my aunt, her daughter, as soon as she got here, got married, she's like, I'm taking my ass out of New York. I'm not growing up in this community. My kids are not growing up in this community. And not that she hates our community. She loves our community. But I think that she knew that staying here would be too oppressive for her kids. She needed some distance, some space. She needed some space. And I think that she did the right thing for her family. And my cousins have great lives. They're very successful. And they were able to grow up without the pressures of the Bukharian community and just be themselves. And I think that that's really beautiful. And I wish that more kids in our community had that space. I have, I have a very different experience than my cousins did, for sure. <laughs> Yeah. And I wouldn't give it up for anything. I think it makes me a way more interesting person. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> I think that all of my crazy ass Bukharan experiences make me fascinating. Scars are fun. Scars are so fun. <laughs> Story. <laughs> well, I think everyone has like a relative like that, that like is Buharian and knows that they're Buharian, loves that, but just needed to not be here and just loves their space and can love it from a distance. Um, and appreciate it more because of that. Yes. And it's always so refreshing to see those family members because, like, I want more of this energy. You know what I mean? Like, I want to actually be able to love my Baharianess, you know? Yeah. And they're so fascinated by the food and they're so excited to come to 108th Street and, like, Yo, go to the stores. Yeah. They have to know? fly home with, like, a case of meat. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that's so exciting. I'm like, I wish this is how I felt about 108th Street. Instead, I'm like... I, I'm like, I walk I around it. <laughs> Instead, I'm like, I'm not even going to pay the meter. That's how that's how short of a period I'm yes. going to be here for. Stay in the car, keep it yeah. running. Right <laughs> Me, like, in the Uber, I'm like, keep the meter. Just I'm, This is a quick stop. I just run in and out. But that's genuinely how it was when I was living in Queens. I like did not like being in those spaces. I didn't feel comfortable in those spaces. And looking back, I'm like, that's fucking sad. Like, why? Why did I feel like that? Like, that's so horrible. And I, I was always like, 
almost envious of those Baharian friends who would like thrive in it. Yes, I was jealous. You know what I I mean? I agree with you 100%. You don't know how many times I like would sit and just be like, why can't I just be like them? Yes. Life seems so much easier for them. So much easier. I'm like, I just wish that I could just love it. Yes, I want to go to Salute and have a stick of fucking Buddhist Like, yes, that's exactly what I want to do. I kind of like Salute. I'm not going to (laughs) talk shit about Salute because their shashlik is good. Listen, that's where we used to go when I was little. Like, I don't know any other one for the sake of the argument. Like, I don't usually crave shashlik (laughs) ever. I'm like, that's not my taste. I do. I love it. (laughs) But I'm saying, like, for the sake of it, like, I wish that I could be able to do that and, like, not feel gross about it, not feel weird about it. Like, Instead, I feel like there's this ingrained self-hatred that I'm actively trying to work through because I feel like yeah. we'll just be calmer people. Like, I'll just be a happier person if I love that part of myself instead. But yeah. it's just, I'm not the type of person that can overlook certain things. And instead, I want to talk through them and I want to work through them. And like, yeah, it's going to be uncomfy for a little bit, but at a certain point, it'll get straightened out and then I can love it for what it is, as opposed to this, like, weird, tarnished, morphed version of our culture and community that, like, is suddenly, like, forming. But I think that the reason why is because our people have literally only been here for the, at maximum, at maximum the last 40 years. Yeah. At maximum. And those are, like, the first Buharians to come here. Yeah. Most of us have not been here for longer than 30 years. And that's, I think that, like, to us, it seems, like, archaic, but, like, they've only been here for 30 years. They weren't even born here, and to have their family members who, like, all lived in one, their little town in Tashkent, to now, they all mass immigrated to a new country, plus that new country is 10,000 times bigger than the old country they lived in, and now their family members are going to whoever goes knows where. Yeah. And it's, it's scary, and I get it. Like, I totally, I see both sides, because... If all I knew my whole life was my community and I was uprooted to a completely different country where I had to learn a new language and learn a new lifestyle and dress differently and have things in my home differently to then losing all of the people that kept me rooted to my home. I not losing them, but like not realizing that they're closer than you think, but knowing that they're not as close as they used to be, it's, it's jarring. It's gotta be scary. Absolutely. And I think that I definitely, uh, it's, uh, that's all of that is true. And I definitely feel that. And there is a duality to it. And that's what makes it so infuriating. Mm-hmm. And that's what makes it so difficult to make the right quote unquote decision. Mm-hmm. And I think that that then though, those anxieties that the older people are feeling that did experience that migration and that did experience that trauma, like, cause that's traumatic. The issue is yeah. that, that they didn't work through that trauma. Yeah. I'm not seeing a lot of 30 and 40 year olds in therapy. I'm definitely not seeing any 50 and 60 year olds in therapy. And there's no discussion of mental health. There's no discussion of stability and safety in our community. And that's debilitating because then when you don't have those resources and when you yourself are unstable, how can we expect younger generations to be more stable than others? Their level of comfort is now threatened. And, and I think that that's the thing is that our people are so afraid of being uncomfortable because change is uncomfortable, difficult conversations about race, ethnicity, social status, career choices. Those are all difficult conversations. And I think that a lot of that comes from the Soviet aspects of yes. our upbringing because Soviet culture is very closed off. You don't talk about feelings. You don't have them, in fact, especially if you're a man. If you're a woman, you're allowed to have them within reason. Otherwise, you're a hysterical bitch. There are very constrictive elements that were a part of their upbringing. And breaking free of those molds and those standards and stereotypes, it's it can feel debilitating because you have to come to terms with the fact that everything that you've grown up to know is a lie. Exactly. (laughs) And that would be difficult for anyone. Anyone. I I don't think it. I mean, if I woke up tomorrow and found out that everything that I ever knew or thought was somehow wrong or like miscommunicated to me or misunderstood by me, I would be furious. (laughs) Yeah. It would be so confusing. Yeah. It's that's why it's so cathartic to meet people that are experiencing those same things and that are working through that and actually moving towards something better that want something better for this community because we love it. I I don't want the next generation to go through this. I want them to know that we exist and that we're here 
And if you want someone to talk to, and if you feel like everything is going wrong and like I feel like I'm alone and no one gets me, no, we get you. We were you five years ago. We were you 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. And if you want to talk about it and if you want to feel solace in the fact that in due time, everything will be okay, we'll give you that. By talking through these experiences and by like actually being open and honest about them. Mm-hmm. It's, it's hard to conceptualize that everything that we think holds us back is fake. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's all a societal structured, it's garbage. It's all garbage. Gender, ethnic identity. Yeah. Like it all plays a role, but not as much as we allow it to like, or as much as we could allow it to. Yeah. So like, I could easily be the type of person to be like, these are the rules and standards I have to follow imposed by who? Yeah. And I'm going to do it because that's the standards that are imposed. But you're not going to go to jail if you don't. <laughs> and we're con- preconditioned to feel that we will, to feel that there is a repercussion. There's no repercussion to being yourself. There's nothing bad about it. And if this person doesn't like it, that person will. And that was the hardest thing for me to come to terms with when I was younger and really wanting to break in and be myself and and always show myself for who I am, but feeling really afraid that I wouldn't be accepted in a certain space. Who cares about that space if there's another one that exists for you? And that's what I realized. I don't have to be accepted in every space. Yes. That's not a necessity. Right. What is a necessity is to find the community that will accept you and that will house all the things that you care for and love and that you value because... It exists. It's not uh, something that you have to create all from scratch. Yeah. There is a community for every person in this world to find a home in. And it doesn't have to be the one that you were born into. Um, and if you feel like you're so inclined to work towards changing the community you were born into to fit you and to fit the majority of the people that are now growing into it like you are, I think that that's astounding. And that's really amazing. And there's a part of me that wishes that I could be more active in that regard because I mean, we've talked about this before. Like I have a lot of thoughts and ideas that I've never shared with anyone. Things that no one ever knows that ever went through my mind because I'm too scared of how they're going to be perceived. And you don't do that, which is kind of really awesome. (laughs) Like, because I've convinced myself that all of my ideas are so original that no one ever experienced life the way I experienced it. <laughs> oh, what was me? So many people have this. It's like, you're not special. Yeah, <laughs> like, it's like, we're all living the same life. <laughs> we yeah. all have the same thoughts and ideas and none of us are talking about them. And that's why it's an issue. Yeah. And as soon as we start opening our mouths and talking about them is when we can start having honest conversations towards change. And what works and what doesn't work and what feels good and what feels bad. It's like, I don't know. It's wild that we, we constrict ourselves. Yeah. Cause like no one physically holds you down and says like, do the things that the community says, <laughs> like they'll yell at you, but they can't physically force you. Yeah. No one's going to hold a gun to your head. You're holding this metaphorical gun to your own head, exactly. telling yourself like, I have to do this because it's going to be shameful if I don't, who the fuck cares? Yeah. And the more we keep pushing and changing and going forward, the more we have the opportunity to change the trajectory of what we think is going to happen or what's been projected for us. Yeah. And um, I think that's why people can't stop creating. You can't stop doing things that you love. You can't just let the world consume you. I mean, we have agency and that's the most beautiful thing about being human to me is there are people that are like, oh, I wish I could just be like a dog and like be taken care of by a human being. Never. I would never want to live that life yeah. because your life is, has a lack of agency. You can't change anything around you. You are a slave to your environment. And as a human being, the most empowering thing that I've ever come into is to learn that I am not a slave to my environment. I have the, the very real ability, regardless of age, uh, being a female, being a male, whatever, I can still to any degree that I want, make a huge change in my life towards what I want. And that for me, that started with manifestation and like believing that the universe is divine and you have control over it. It's yours. Yeah. Everything is yours. It's all of ours. And we all have so much more power within us than we know and that we can even comprehend. But as soon as you start tapping into even just the littlest amount, 
your life starts to change and your whole world starts to shift. What changed about me from 24 to 25? Where in 24, I had no social following. I was the exact same human vessel, same body. The mind shifted. When the mind shifts, the life shifts. And my entire life is 100% different than it was three years ago when I was in college struggling, working five jobs, killing myself to make other people happy all the time and not living for me. And now I'm the same person with the same resources, the same family, the same friends, you know, in one way or another, the same people are in my life. I've made the change. I was the change. No one else did it for me. Of course, there are people that support you, people that come to your aid. But at the end of the day, nothing is possible without you moving it into motion. You have to make that conscious decision. I want this. I'm going to do this towards this goal. And then it's already happening because it's happening in your mind's eye. Any level of whatever level of success that I'm at that I've reached at this point all started as me laying in my bed, imagining it to be so. I was literally just going to say, I think that I only actually had like the courage to do this when I literally could see it in my head. When I could see it in my head, I was like, okay. And normally, you know, it's really, really crazy. If I can see something in my mind, like if I can close my eyes and literally picture it, picture myself there with that person or with whoever, like doing something, it never works out. Normally, like in my life, every time that I see something, it never works out. Really? So I literally actively like prevent myself from like talking to myself or like doing any of those things because I'm like, nope, like I'm not even- But do you know why that happens? Why? Because you have the element of self-doubt. You're not allowing yourself to experience as if it's already happening. Once you allow yourself to believe not just the concept of the thing happening and thinking like, oh, that would be nice. That is nice because it is happening to me. It will happen. I am already putting into motion everything that needs to happen for this goal to come. I started out with zero followers, right? Everyone does. I started out a page, zero followers. How did I know that 200 was going to turn into 2000 was going to turn into 20,000? I didn't. But I allowed myself to believe that I deserved it. And that I allowed myself to experience life as if it was already happening. I was making videos as if I already had the following, yeah. right? Like I didn't have the following and then make the videos. I was like, okay, I don't have the following yet, but in order to have it, I have to pretend I have it Yeah. because how else would I make the content for it? How yeah. else would I make the content if I don't already envision so many people seeing it? So once I allowed myself to think like, I want a million people to see what I'm doing. So I'm going to create the type of content that I would want a million people to see. And it happened because I wasn't like, okay, I'm going to make content that feels like it might be okay and hope that everyone sees it. I said, I'm going to make content that a million people are going to find valuable. How else could it happen? Yeah. If you don't see that you're capable of that. Because <laughs> that's actually how I feel. Like I'm always so nervous and I'm always like self-doubting and like, so uncomfortable. Who's going to know? Who's going to know that you believe in yeah. yourself? Who's going who's gonna to be there to make you feel ashamed of that? So no true. No one has to know. No, who's going to know? Why no one's going to know. Why, Why would they, they How would they know? <laughs> and that's the thing is for it to happen, no one has to know. In fact, it's imperative that no one knows. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Only you know. Because if you decide to let other people's thoughts in and let them influence you... Your, your mind is no longer a safe space. You have to know. And you have to really, it takes a lot of shadow work. It takes a lot of, I mean, it took me years to allow myself to think that I was worthy of even thinking of the things that I wanted. Yeah. I couldn't even imagine that I would be allowed to like, let's say like, I really, I want to be like successful, right? I would, I would be embarrassed to even think about being successful because I didn't think it was worthy of me. But when I decided, why not me? Why would I not be worthy of that? Who told me that? And why am I listening to them? Right? If you decide that you are worthy, you will move mountains to change it. Even if society is in the way. Even if, you know, it's just any, whatever is in your way, you will find a way to move it. You will find a way to get it. Because I was terrified of being on video. I was afraid that people would think I was weird. My voice is annoying. They're going to say I'm fat. As soon as I decided I didn't care about those things, I started making video content. 
all you have to do is decide. I know it sounds so ridiculous. Yeah. Like all you have to do in your life is make a decision. And for me, someone who's very indecisive my whole life yeah. until this point, that seemed impossible until I decided that I was allowed to make decisions and there was nothing wrong with being decisive. No, because Literally. I genuinely used to think like, oh, people are going to get so annoyed of me if I like am secure and make decisions and they're going to be like, oh, she's so bossy, pushy. Yeah, yeah I am. I am bossy. I am pushy. Yes. I am. I am. And then guess what? I'm also happy as fuck. Yeah. Because I'm not caring about what anyone else wants. I'm not walking around being some little follower, making my whole life about someone else's wants and needs. Yeah. I'm doing my thing. Whoever wants is coming along. The function's at three. You want to be there? Be there. You don't? I'll have a better time without you. (laughs) And that's how I live my life. And that's the end of the recording. (laughs)